And welcome back to Anne and Emily Wrestle a Podcast. My name is Annalise. Um, we are recording on Saturday instead of a Friday because someone got tapped to hop in and, su- and sub-tank for a team. Go listen to Q for Fun if you want to know more about playing Heroes of the Storm. But that is not what we are here to talk about. We are here to talk about the pro wrestling that matters and, and to do fun content. And it's Halloween weekend, which means, of course... My tag team partner, my eternal nemesis, the greatest heel of all time, descending from the rafters, kicking Sting's ass on the way down. It's Emily the Raven. Boo! Happy Halloween! <laughs> She's in ghost form, by the way. Uh, <laughs> the vicar of doom, the reverend of destruction, the, the co-holder of an eight-star match. Rank it, Dave. You coward. <laughs> no exactly no we sorry. love you dave Meltzer. sorry dave we love you although it is it is amusing to watch the uh iwc shit on dave Meltzer and sean ross Sapp every chance they get and it's just like are you jealous or something mm-hmm. i mean sorry but yeah a lot of what dave says is his opinion but his opinion is really well informed it's better informed than ours, and that's why we respect it even when we don't disagree with it. You misrated Thunder Rosa versus Britt Baker lights out match, Dave. <laughs> you misrated it. Mm-hmm. And we've said it enough. Go back and listen to that episode. So, we're here on Halloween weekend. It's Devil's Night here in Michigan. Uh, I found out from talking to my other co-hosts and other shows that Devil's Night is not a universal thing. Apparently, in cities not named Detroit, people don't burn the cities down on October 30th. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was actually just learning about that because people in Detroit will burn down abandoned houses that uh, the city won't take care of. And uh, that's been a longstanding thing. And, and I, didn't, I didn't know about it until this year. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, they've tried to combat it over the last uh, several decades. It's not really been a thing for a while. But to quote the uh, movie The Crow from the 90s, uh, now they have Devil's Night greeting cards. Well, so there, there you go. go. Yeah. There you go. And I thought everyone knew what Devil's Night was, but apparently in other places it's called the much less interesting Mischief Night. Oh, I've never heard of that either. Uh, Wicked Kitten, who's from New Jersey, refers to it as Mischief Night. And I'm like, never heard of that. Wow. I'm not aware of that. So, yeah. Hmm. yeah. Yeah, I'm not aware of it either. I mean, we usually just had, like, growing up in central Illinois, we would have Halloween on, like, both nights, the 30th and the 31st. And there would be trick-or-treating, like, both nights in my well, town. Well, let's be honest. Halloween starts on September 1st. <laughs> That's not fall yet. I I can't I can't agree with that. Halloween starts on September first. You start <laughs> you start putting up the cobwebs. You start looking for bat decorations. That stuff start... never comes down in my house. Oh, this is true. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 by the way, to all the Christmas fans out there, you're allowed to have the day after Thanksgiving to the day after New Year's, and that's it. And why? Because Christmas is tacky. I I believe in traditional spooky Christmas. Christmas used to be all about ghost stories and fun, spooky traditions. And I'm all for that. I say I've been trying to bring that back for years. 
And that is the voice of Emily, Emily the Raven, ordained Lutheran minister. <laughs> hey, life has a spooky dimension, too. <laughs> I, I agree. And this is one of the reasons why we're friends. <laughs> one of many, many, many reasons. So uh, we are here to talk about all the stuff that's going on in wrestling and to produce some fun interesting evergreen content as we've been doing and tis the season for spookiness so we're going to get to that in a bit but there is a spooky thing that we have to talk about that i don't know how you felt when you heard this but ring of honor is going on hiatus now what that means is that all their talent is going to be released uh on December 31st at the end of the year. They're going to do final battle like they do every year, every December. They're going to pay everyone who's contracted through the end of the year to the end of the year. Anyone who's contracted into next year or later will get paid all the way through March 31st. And they are going to take the time to reimagine what ring of honor is going to be. Now details of this have come out. They will be doing super card of honor on WrestleMania uh, week as they always do. Uh, hopefully that will be with lots of cross-promotional stuff. And the reports that have been coming out from uh, Dave Meltzer and Sean Rossap and from various other outlets uh, on the internet is that Ring of Honor is going to run more like PWG. They're not going to have fully contracted wrestlers anymore. They're going to be running uh, shows and people are going to be paid for the dates that they're going to be scheduled for. So the real downside to this is that the long-term booking and the excellent long-term storytelling that has been a hallmark of Ring of Honor for the entirety of its 19-year run looks like it is no longer sustainable. And there's just one more thing I want to say about this whole thing. Ring of Honor, along with New Japan, were the companies that did the most right by their talent. They did not hold any shows whatsoever, not even no fan shows, until it was safe enough to do so. And they continued to pay everybody. They cut nobody. They furloughed nobody. And the price that both companies, both Ring of Honor, uh, Ring of Honor and New Japan, have paid for that is that it has cost them a ton of money to do the right thing. Because doing the right thing isn't cheap. And it is incredibly sad to see this. So, Emily, what were your thoughts and reactions when you heard Ring of Honor was going on hiatus? I was really shocked. And I heard it first or saw it first on Twitter. And the the way it was, uh, the person who shared it on Twitter, the way they the way they framed it was that ROH was like closing permanently so I had to track down and see you know like the actual um announcement to to figure out what was going on because I was like oh my gosh like what what is happening and yeah I'm just I'm really really shocked and at one level I also know you know, as shocked as I am, I also know that this is a consequence of 
the pandemic and, you know, having, having a business that relies on, um, you know, ticket sales and in-person events. And so it's not, unfortunately, you know, it's, it's not unusual that other similar, uh, sources of, you know, live events, venues, places like that have also been closing. And I guess I hope that they can come through this and, you know, create that, that model, um, the PWG model, and, you know, hopefully still have a future and, you know, see where it goes from there. But, um, you know, it, it's not, it's not good news. So. No, it's terrible. There, there's a lot of speculation going on right now. Um, more than a few people have speculated that Tony Khan might buy Ring of Honor for a couple of reasons. First of all, a lot of the people on AEW's roster, as well as a lot of people in WWE, we could list off all the people who got their starts in ROH or who made their names huge in ROH. Um, we won't do that. You know who they are. And along with buying Ring of Honor is their considerably huge tape library, which actually includes the first AEW pay-per-view, which before AEW was even a thing, All In. Mm. Ring of Honor has All In in their tape library. So there's actually a really big incentive for AEW to purchase Ring of Honor, keep the brand alive, and use it as their own developmental system the way that uh, NXT should be used by WWE, but isn't because WWE doesn't know what the hell they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great idea, but I don't know how feasible it is because of how much money uh, Tony Khan has already sunk into AEW and building it up. I don't know if if they have enough cash on hand mm-hmm. to really make a play for that. Um, yeah, yeah, I also don't know if that's possible because I, you know, uh, AEW continued to pay and and provided jobs for even more wrestlers, but they continued to pay their wrestlers who did not did not want to come and compete in person, even with the testing and the no audience, uh, you know that they, that they were doing throughout the early part of the pandemic and so their financial situation while more solid and they have you know much more sources of income you know than a than a smaller company i'm not sure that they would be in a position to do that to i'm 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 sure the thought must be there but i wonder if it will be possible well, there's there's a couple more pieces of speculation to add to this. Um, there is speculation that by the end of 2022, we'll have an AEW streaming service because yeah. I think they realize that they need to they need that to compete. And to be truthful, AEW doesn't have the backlog of content to put on a streaming service like that to charge premium price. So, even if they didn't buy the Ring of Honor brand, going after the Ring of Honor tape library which has 
lots of historical matches that are really important to the wrestlers currently in AEW would be a good base, a good foundation for starting an AEW network. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And I'm sure it's going to be playing into whatever decision they make. Yeah, so I think there's a lot of 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 value to Ring of Honor. And of course, Ring of Honor might not actually end up being for sale. They could actually very easily turn this around come April. They could put together Supercard of Honor. I think that most of the rest of the industry that isn't run by Vince McMahon wants everyone else to succeed because they realize that when the, when it's good everyone's lifted up we're we're getting close to a situation of territories again mm. where the territories might not be geographic but in no way shape or form do the number 2 and number 3 promotions in the US uh currently AEW and Impact in no way shape or form do they compete with each other they don't even try in fact they've been they're not while their current deal to work together has come to an end Again, numerous reports are saying that door is still open. They just have to renegotiate and make plans for future. But right now, Impact is focusing on developing their own brand and talent, and AEW is doing the same, and the door is still going to be open. Yeah. And so I think that we're going to, st- I think there's a real possibility that th- it's in the interest of Impact, Ring of uh, Impact, AEW. Uh, GCW, uh, PWG, and various other promotions to keep Ring of Honor alive. And I think that there's going to be clauses in people's contracts to let them work Ring of Honor dates. Because, again, this is helpful. The best part of this, though, for me, is the possibility of getting Ring of Honor out from under Sinclair Broadcasting. Because... Yeah, because Sinclair is pretty fucking evil. Yeah. And it makes it hard for me to to watch or pay for Ring of Honor content because I know where that money is going. And it, it's, it's, it's equivalent to just giving money to Fox News. I won't fucking do it. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it's just... <sighs> I hope for the best. Um, Ring of Honor is... What was the shining uh, torch in American wrestling when WWE was in its worst period? Believe it or not, this is not the current darkest timeline for WWE. Go back to the period known as John Cena wins lull <laughs> as the worst period of time for WWE. And Ring of Honor and to a, to a lesser extent Impact Wrestling or TNA at the time. What a stupid fucking joke. Where the places where you could go and watch good professional wrestling because you couldn't fucking watch it in WWE. Right. So, all right, let's move on to talking about Ring of Honor, to talking about possibly the person who is considered by many to be the best female professional wrestler today, not being in very good standing with her company. Charlotte Flair. (laughs) Last week, during a stupid 
title exchange because the Raw Women's Champion had been drafted to SmackDown. The SmackDown Women's Champion had been drafted to Raw. So instead of, like, you know, dropping their titles on the way out like you would normally do, let's just have them both in the ring and have Becky and Charlotte exchange titles. According to all reports, Charlotte went into business for herself because she thought that the, the entire thing made her look weak. She is not wrong that it made her look weak. It doesn't justify her going into business for herself. And everybody was really mad at Charlotte. The speculation is now rampant that Charlotte, because she has so much heat backstage, because no one really wants to work with her at all anymore, um, is that she's trying to get out of her WWE contract, which is seven figures a year and multiple years left, according to Dave Meltzer, so that she can go to AEW as fast as possible. Now, back up about a year from, from, from now, at that time, Charlotte Flair filed a trademark for her actual name, Ashley Flair, so that she would own that when she, when she left. Oh. So she and Andrade both filed trademarks on identities to use outside of WWE almost a year ago. So there is a longer-term plan that appears to be going on here. And Charlotte does not have anything holding her to WWE. And while we may prefer different wrestlers, it is hard to argue with the complete package that is Charlotte Flair. Oh, yeah. She's fantastic. Yeah. And she can walk in and have a match with anyone and have it be good the pay-per-view a month ago i don't remember which one it was because honestly i don't care she had a match with alexa bliss that was fucking amazing um it was a it was again a demonstration of just how good alexa bliss is but how good charlotte flair is that she can work with someone uh, a full head shorter than her and make every aspect of the match believable The match she had last night with Shotzi Blackheart, who is one of the best up-and-coming women's wrestlers, um, was an easy four-star match. And it was pretty fantastic. And again, there's absolutely no reason why Charlotte has to stick around in WWE because she is mad about her booking. She is mad that... Her father was put into a storyline where he supposedly impregnated Lacey Evans, who is a married woman who is actually pregnant with her real husband's child and not sleeping with Ric Flair. Both Charlotte and Rick hated the storyline. But Vince doesn't care because he's an asshole. Wow, I didn't even know about that. Yeah, because, it was... you know, I don't pay attention to what's going on over there. But wow, that's really horrible. It's really horrible. Um, she was mad. She she pitched for several times for her and her fiance Andrade to work together. She asked. She begged. She did everything proper to be in AAA, uh, to be in Andrade's corner when he fought Kenny Omega, and WWE put the kibosh on that. Which is why, even though Charlotte was at the show, WWE wasn't happy with her. Even though she said, "I'm going to be at the show." 
She told them way in advance she would not be doing the house show that weekend. And they advertised her for the house show anyways. Oh, wow. I mean, there's there's a certain segment of the internet who wants to paint Charlotte as a brat. But I think she has several legitimate grievances against WWE and against her booking. And every reason, although it's never good for a wrestler to go into business for themselves, I don't blame her. Yeah, I think eventually probably the frustration, it's just impossible to ignore, you know? Yeah, I I, kind of look for the day. I kind of look for the day when Ashley Flair, Davina Rose, Rebecca Quinn, and Mercedes Banks, because she won't be able to call herself Sasha, all mm-hmm. show up in AEW as the Four Horsewomen and make that a faction AEW. That would be pretty amazing. Yeah, that would be that would be everything that I would want. And at that point, there's really no reason to watch WWE as if there's a reason now. <sighs> All right, that's enough trash to talk. Let's talk about something awesome. Brian Danielson wrestled Eddie Kingston last night. I have not had a chance to watch it, so Emily, is this match as good as everyone is saying it is? And better. It was it was absolutely fantastic. Brutal, skillful. It 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 brought out the best in both of them. Uh it brought out the really more new Japan style of uh, strong style and I I was thrilled with this match. Really, I really was. So, yeah. And it was a submission victory. Um, yes, which yeah. created a lot of controversy and continued uh, as controversy later on in the show. Wow! And again, Eddie Kingston is really fucking good. I still wish he had taken the TNT title off of Miro. Although I didn't want Miro to lose the title, I didn't want I didn't didn't want to lose Sammy. Although I like Sammy Guevara, but I kind of I kind of want Eddie Kingston to have a belt. He doesn't need it. It'd just be fun. <laughs> um, yeah, I I would love to see that. And you know the way um, the way the the match ended was um, you know the the rough. Uh, called it via um. Uh, I don't know why my words are failing me. Um, but it created it created like a huge problem, as you mm. can imagine. So, yeah, calling a submission by ref stoppage and not by tap out is always a hard thing to do. Yeah, but I mean, it looked like you know he had. Um, passed out. So yeah, and so that that again makes it just more believable. And the thing that I was hearing from people this morning as I was finding out about this match because I was busy last night, um, <laughs> uh, was really that the 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 praise to the match was how every match, um, Brian Danielson has wrestled in AEW 
he's adapted himself to the style of the person he's wrestling with. So this match was much more bruisery, much more physical than the usual technical matches that, that Danielson wrestles. Well, and a lot of this is that we're seeing the true uh, Brian Danielson and he's returned to uh, an earlier style and also has, you know, created like some fusion in his style over the years as he's adapted. And so, you know, we're, we're seeing him fully unleashed in a yeah. way that, that he was not in during his time in WWE. And so we're seeing like the true range of his skills and abilities. And, you know, it's, it's absolutely incredible. Yeah, that was my big criticism in in WWE with Daniel Bryan, uh, Bryan, yeah, with Daniel Bryan, now Bryan Danielson, which is proper, was that they were so hooked on him doing the crossface finisher, which isn't even his fourth best submission. It's just good for the cameras, is what it is, because there was there's a feud he had in 2018 after coming back with Big Cass. Now, say what you want about Enzo and Cass. They were over. And Brian doing a David versus Goliath match against Cass was always good. After beating him on a pay-per-view, Cass comes down and starts taunting Brian, gets in the ring. Brian drops him like a bad habit wraps his leg around the post and gets in the ring and starts applying the heel hook, which is his second best submission and one of the most brutal looking submissions on the planet. It's like the ankle lock only worse. <laughs> he goes, he goes back around, comes back in, reapplies the heel hook. And I'm, and my whole issue was why wasn't the heel hook his finisher? Why wasn't <laughs> If you're, I understand you don't want to say cattle mutilation on network TV. Fine. Which is his best submission. But the heel hook is so much more brutal than the crossface. And there's a better crossface in Sasha Banks's bank, bank statement, particularly the torque she gets on it. Don't ugh, let a submission specialist be a submission specialist. Let them use multiple submissions. They don't have to use the same finishing submission every single time and that brian is in a place right now danielson's in a place right now where he can do awesome shit with awesome wrestlers is just so much fun and it's the best it's the best time it's the best time <laughs> it is it yes is. absolutely so those were the things that are going on right now that are worth talking about. We're going to have a lot more to say coming up with the full with the full gear go home shows and I'm still keeping a finger on WWE because in truth the two best pay-per-views of the years are of the year are coming up. Um and they're definitely worth peeking in if not watching. Because Survivor Series 2019, um, if anyone doesn't remember that show, was a, a series of dream matches versus uh, just to end all dream matches. Um, Survivor Series 2018 was a case of another 
five plus star match that didn't get properly rated Brian versus Brock Lesnar, which is criminally underrated. Um, because that is that is Daniel Bryan's best selling job ever and best comeback ever. Mm-hmm. And it was so good. That match is so fucking good. Um and the Royal Rumble is just around the corner here in two months. And that's always a good match. Always. Um, so I'm gonna keep hope. Small. <laughs> small hope that something good is going to happen in the midst of all this NXT 2.0 unicorn vomit logo and constant fucking up of the women's division and constant garbage in the mid card and Vince McMahon rewriting shows and no good well very little long term storytelling because they're able to do it with the with the two top championships. They just can't seem to do it with anything else. So, well, you you as you said, keep your finger on WWE. Yeah, meanwhile, you ignore it meanwhile, completely. Meanwhile, I will, I will, I will be. Hit. Meanwhile, I will be giving them the finger. So two different applications, but <laughs> yeah, I will take the I will take the hit and and look. We don't want WWE to fail. Oh, we just want. We just want Vince not to be in charge of it Maybe. anymore. <laughs> I no, no. No, no comment. No comment. We don't want we don't want the wrestlers to fail. No, I don't want the wrestlers to fail. That's absolutely true. We want the wrestlers to have good matches. We don't want WWE fans to feel bad. We don't want them to ha- to have to suffer anymore through more bad matches. The ones who are loyalists who are sticking with it, which I can respect. I can respect it. I don't understand it <laughs> at all. It's dumb. <laughs> I'm I'm refusing to watch NXT now. I, I and NXT was appointment viewing for me, but I'm gonna I'm gonna hold out hope that something will get course corrected, that someone will realize something. Otherwise, you know, eventually they're not going to be able to hold on to what to what they're to what they're dealing with because that five year de- that five year billion dollar deal with Fox isn't going down the way they thought it was going to go down. And they're going to have to renegotiate that in a couple of years. And they're not going to like what they're going to get. Yeah. So I hope, I hope for a kicked open forbidden door because you saw the dark match clip I sent you. Yeah. Of Paul Heyman getting in the ring. (laughs) Of Paul Heyman being fucking brilliant. And what I said on our Twitter, I want the, the forbidden door kicked off of its hinges. Because I want Paul Heyman and Don Callis cutting cutting promos on each other. We have a potential golden age of wrestling, a golden age of managers, a golden age of commentary. And it's being stifled because one company refuses to play ball and refuses to be nice and refuses to treat the wrestlers with respect or to give them medical insurance or to treat them as full-time employees when they sign to exclusive contracts. Well, I believe we already are in a golden age of wrestling and we have been, yeah. and it, star- it started with AEW and I don't think that WWE needs to be uh, involved in it. I mean, I really think that wrestling and wrestling fans have, uh, hardcore fans and new fans have moved beyond the need for a company with the type of model that they have where you can't 
even say professional wrestling. And, you know, they don't want to be a wrestling company. And wrestling has moved on without them. And Look, I'm, I'm saying it requires firing three people. <laughs> it requires getting rid of Nick Khan, Kevin Dunn, and Vince McMahon. I think it needs more than that because I think that toxic culture is really, really deep in there. So I, I really think it would take, I, I think it would take a lot. I don't, I think it's possible, but I think it would take a lot. So. I will continue to hold out hope because there's too much good talent there to constantly be this wasted, and I have to hope, I have to hope that eventually they'll realize this could have been better, as I demonstrated. Last episode when I booked when I rebooked the Queen's Crown tournament. Yeah. Yeah. The talent's there. They could have done it. I mean, I want to see the New Day and, and the Usos fight the tag teams. I want to see the New Day versus the Lucha Brothers. I want to see the Usos versus the Lucha Brothers. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. It's there. The talent's fucking there. Just do it. Just do it. Motherfuckers. Uh, and and I say I say hey maybe we'll get another AEW maybe some more talent can leave and start another company and we all win. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. The same at the same time I do think the lineage of the WWE Championship that goes all the way back to the WWF Championship and is the oldest lineage in North American professional wrestling outside of Mexico. Because the CMLL championship is longer than the WWE championship. I do think that legacy needs to be preserved. I just don't think it should be in the hands of the McMahons anymore. Yeah. I think well, the legacy of WrestleMania needs to be preserved. I don't think it should be in the hands of the McMahon. Yeah. Or a Pritchard. Or a Khan. Unless it's Tony Khan. Unless it's Tony Khan. <laughs> he knows how to play with others. Yeah. Oh, well. Let's talk about scary stuff. Yes! So we had talked about doing scary stuff, and again, I was working too much to develop this, so we came up with a couple of different things to talk about, and then Emily in our Discord posted five scary things to talk about. So we're going to talk about scary move, scary wrestlers, spooky entrances, spookiest storylines, and scary matches. <laughs> I am so excited. I love this. Um, I love Halloween. I love scary stories. And I want, and I just want to clarify that the way I'm doing this is uh, as a sort of like classic old school, like you know, 50s, for 1940s, 1950s um, horror movies and, like, old spooky ghost stories and, like, the theatrics of Halloween. And so I'm not... I know Halloween, and if you say, like, scary means that different things to different people. So my take of it is I'm doing, like, a more classic strain of, like, uh, theatrical scariness. So I think and some that's... of that I'm doing too. Just a couple of times, I'm taking a dig. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just because I, you know, that's just fun for me. And mm -hmm. you know, if you get in the realm of like what's actually scary in wrestling, it's like legitimately like bad people doing bad things. So I don't want to go down that road. I want to yeah. go like 
scary rest, fun scary fun <laughs> rest in peace new jack but you've taken every single one of these categories on both of our lists <laughs> so yeah um because new jack was or or haku haku would have taken <laughs> for real scary oh my god the stories about haku <laughs> <laughs> Go watch the videos that people have recorded about about the the stories and shoot interviews on just how how legitimately real life scary Haku was taking an entire canister of mace to the eyes, breaking handcuffs, and saying, "Is that all?" Not <laughs> in wrestling, but in a barroom brawl when cops had put handcuffs on him, and he just mm. snaps them, and just like, yeah, yeah. All right, let's start with Scary Move. Emily, you're up first. What have you picked for the Scary Move that you want to talk about in wrestling? Yeah, so this, you'll definitely see where the theatrics come in on this. And so the move that I am picking as a, a Scary Move I want to highlight, I'm not saying it's necessarily the scariest or the best, but the one that really immediately comes to mind is uh, Bray Wyatt's uh, Sister Abigail finisher. And a lot of it, well, all of it is him. How how he did it, um, his just every way that he sold that as a finisher, and I enjoyed it every time. So creepy, um, and to me also just like always exciting to see when when he would do that. It's the kiss on the top of the head. It's the slow pause as someone's bent over, bent backwards over his knee mm-hmm. before he flips them over onto their face. It is one of the safest moves ever. And it is absolutely creepy. Yeah. And looks, the, looks like everyone who takes it takes the worst of it. I went the same way with theatrically scary theatrically creepy and it's just the undertaker sitting up now think about all the times someone has thought they've had the undertaker down (laughs) think about all the times someone thought they had the undertaker beaten and the way he always waits for the perfect moment to sit up and the pop of the crowd and the terror in the face of the other wrestler. Yeah, just absolutely incredible. And, and similar to, you know, Sister Abigail in it slowing down time and also using timing perfectly in the ring. And yeah. just amazing. And the way he would do this at the, at the appropriate time and the way he wouldn't overuse it because he wouldn't do it in every single match because a lot of undertaker matches were just squashes you know just go out and beat the shit out of maven for for five minutes and pin him no no offense for you maven sorry that that royal rumble beat down is one of the best things ever 2002 royal rumble go look it up uh yeah a tough enough competitor accidentally inter- eliminates the Undertaker, and the Undertaker just takes Maven and beats him up all all throughout the arena for that. Don't do that again. 
All right, scary wrestler. I think you actually picked the scariest wrestler, so I'm going to go first. <laughs> okay. And we'll save we'll save the scariest for best because I picked the second scariest wrestler, and a wrestler whose scariness has been diluted by fucking with the formula. Mm-hmm. When he debuted, when the call was, that's got to be Kane. The original mask, the no talking, the being commanded by Paul Bearer. Kane was the scariest fucking thing in the history of wrestling. When he started talking, when he and The Undertaker started getting along, when he had to take his mask off because he lost a match to Triple H, when he started wearing a suit as corporate Kane, teaming as much as I love Team Hell No. Teaming with Daniel Bryan and going to anger management therapy and then becoming mayor of Knox County, Tennessee (laughs) has completely diluted and made us forget just how scary Kane was when he originally debuted and how much terror there was in uh, Glenn Jacobs and that he had so many bad gimmicks on the way from a dentist gimmick to fake diesel before he became Kane. And that first run of Kane was just awesome and terrifying and awe-inspiring. And then slowly WWE made it worse every single year. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Kane Kane debuting as, you know, the brother of the Undertaker or well, half brother and the whole like, you know, supposedly dying in a fire that killed or that uh the Undertaker had started. I mean, it was it it was it was a good it was a good debut. It was it was scary. His character was much scarier. And I I disliked uh, the team Hell No and the anger management storyline. I thought it was funny. I, I, was funny. I hated it. I hated it. I did, and Corporate Kane, I hated even more. Corporate uh, Kane was the worst so, Kane. <laughs> but, you know, I was a big Undertaker fan. And so I, you know, I enjoyed his debut. And, um, yeah. I just and and Paul Bearer being his his father, um, just I don't know. That was fun. Yeah. It was scary. It was fun. Um, it was it was interesting and uh, yeah, just a just a character that later WWE really misused. But that's yeah. kind of kind of their hallmark. So unfortunately. Oh, thank God they never got a chance to ruin Steve Austin. They tried. Yeah. All right. Well, they prob- the- probably still like to. <laughs> who is the actual scariest wrestler of all time who's <laughs> never been diluted at all? So I will lay a clip. Okay, so I said in my first one that I was not saying Sister Abigail was the scariest move, but I will make an argument that that this might be the scariest wrestler um, or is the scariest wrestler, and that's Abaddon. And 
you know, from her debut to her signing in AEW and her continued presence there, she her commitment to the character is a hundred percent. And the terror that she brings out in the referees in the in the women she's fighting it's it's amazing i love it i love every minute of everything she does and yeah i just you know she she's like legitimately seems to scare some people and i also really love the way that she has completely subverted the male gaze in (laughs) in her appearance like she's awe-inspiring and terrifyingly beautiful to me but like you know she has no eyebrows and she has the corpse makeup and the um blood that just like pours out of her mouth and she's screaming and crawling on the ground and I just I love I love her. She is perfect like scary in the best way as possible. And she's only been doing this for two years. Yeah. yeah so she, she debuted she debuted in twenty in twenty nineteen. And the match last night with Britt Baker was it took everything, including Britt's outside uh posse to take Abaddon down and then watching the clip of Abaddon having the chair stomped on her neck, sitting up and throwing the chair to the side. Mm-hmm. And yeah. most of the time when someone no sells something like that, it's cheesy and hokey and looks fake. When Abaddon no sells something like that, it only makes you buy into her gimmick more. Yeah. Yeah. She's part of that. You can see some Undertaker influence in there. And, you know, her, I, I believe that she will only get better and better and be one of those really iconic uh, wrestlers who makes like, you know, top, the top lists of the, the various top lists that people come up with. And just, I'm, I'm excited to see where else she will go because she is so good and, you know, really, really good in the ring, you know, not just a really good character, but a good wrestler mm-hmm. as well. So, Yep, which is another thing that people forget about Kane as well and The Undertaker yeah. is that both yeah. of them were really good in the ring. And, um, you know, just so much that we could talk about with, with all these. And I, and I think that it's it might be sacrilege to say that Abaddon is the scariest wrestler of all time, which he's only been doing this for two years. But I've never been frightened of a wrestler in all the good ways as I am when I see Abaddon Russell. Yeah. So good. Even though the next two things we're going to talk about are pretty freaking awesome too. So (laughs) spooky entrance. We'll continue the back and forth on this and you will start with your claim of spooky entrance to highlight. Yeah. Yeah. So this is another highlight, not saying it's the spookiest entrance ever. It's just one I'm really, really enjoying right now. And that is the entrance that Malachi Black is doing in um, AEW. And, you know, from from the use of uh, Amon Ra's music, which I love, uh, to, you know, having lights off, having his just really... um, 
you know, like ancient Northern European tribal style uh, mask. And, you know, it's, it's very effective. It's, it's exciting to watch. It's interesting. And it's the full package. And I, and I love moments in wrestling when the lights are off. I really, I, it, it interrupts the flow of what's happening in a really good and interesting way. And so it's just a solid, spooky, high-quality entrance. Yeah. He's leaning much more into um, European paganism and dark Gnostic uh, Christianity as opposed to what I thought his WWE entrance was, which felt mostly like a bad take on American Satanism. Yeah. Yes. And not even like accurate to how Satanists actually are. They, right. They tend, they tend to be super nice people, guys. <laughs> Sorry, but they do. Yeah. It was like campy, bad American horror, whereas this yeah. it, this is like, you know, uh, tapping into like really primal, ancient um Norse mytholo- and Celtic. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mythology, fairy tales. And that's like my ancestral heritage mm, so i yeah so i also just kind of get a kick out of of seeing that portrayal as well like it's just enjoyable to me um yeah it's nice it's really really nice and we'll get we'll get into malachi black a little bit more a little bit later but i want to go with what i'm going to actually argue is the spookiest entrance mm. not every time he does it but I think that most of the times that Finn Balor has come in as the demon is mm. really good and spooky. The fog, the crawl to the ring, the, the way in which his makeup is his head is part of the jaw of the mouth of the, mouth of the demon. Um, and again, also... All of the things he's doing is tapping into Irish mythology, of which he actually did a promo in his very first run on the main roster, talking about all the things he's drawing from directly from Irish mythology in his creation of the demon. Even his name, uh, which is a combination of Finn McCool and Balor, the demon. Yeah. All of which is, again, put into this moment where you know that's just Fergal Devitt in paint. But the way in which he moves, the way in which he approaches, the way in which he acts more primal when he comes out as the demon, and then you contrast it with the smiling leather jacket wearing normal tights Finn Balor who normally wrestles, and you believe in what he's selling you the entrance makes every bit of difference. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I will, I I do want to throw an honorable mention out here to when the undertaker is allowed to have the spooky entrance, the really super spooky entrances, some of his WrestleMania entrances, those one-offs really good and scary. Yeah. 
Well, and I want to give, since we're talking about uh, Finn Balor, I want to give also a mention to when he was Prince Devitt in New Japan, mm-hmm. and he did cosplay entrances with uh, with horror characters um, and, and other characters as well, like the Joker. And his his entrances and his ability to be to have like a really spooky entrance it is unparalleled and so i i would definitely agree with uh spookiest on there (laughs) all right i could not choose for the next one and i think you've got the better one here so we'll go with yours last here but i spookiest storyline i had three different things that i wanted to touch on And the third one is the one that I want to go off of. Because the first two have problems. The original Fiend storyline, when Bray Wyatt came back as kind of a children's TV host of kind of a very spooky uh, Let Me In uh, Firefly Funhouse, all the way up through the Firefly Funhouse match with John Cena, which is the best cinematic match of all time. Fight me. Um... (laughs) because it was nothing but character assassination of John Cena and Vince McMahon. And I can't, I still can't believe WWE let it go. I still can't believe they let that happen because it made their biggest champion and Vince McMahon looked like tools, including a puppet Vince McMahon saying, this is such good shit. (laughs) Um, Which if you listened to the, um, Many exit interviews done on Talk is Jericho is something Vince McMahon actually says. Uh, but that fiend, that scariness of the fiend, the terror the fiend in, uh, inspired uh, in the debut, contrasted with the really kind of uncanny uh, valley nature of the Firefly Funhouse, mm-hmm. was fantastic for about eight or nine months. And they ruined it three times on the uh, on the way, and it still was still amazing. The unfinished Dark Father storyline that Alistair, now Malachi Black, was starting in WWE, which go watch Lori Blake's explained videos on Parts Unknown about that. And those videos were so well-researched that Malachi Black actually said, yep, this is exactly what I was doing. Um. Hmm. And it leads into the storyline that he was doing, that he, he progressed into AEW. Um, all of it tied together. And Malachi Black was so impressed with what Lori Blake had put together that he actually officially commented on it and, and confirmed that, that all of this was what was going on. But if we're talking about a storyline that was legitimately terrifying, that got a conclusion it was the promo videos of the ultimate warrior going to Jake Roberts to get advice on how to combat the undertaker that included him being locked in things and then in a room full of snakes and ended with him getting bitten by a Cobra kayfabe and crawling out poisoned as Jake Roberts turns back and says, ah, just in time, the man in black. And as the warrior crawls out in the only good acting he's ever done, he looks up to see a shaking Paul Bearer 
and a terrifying undertaker. And the whole storyline was just never trust a snake. And it highlights that whispering is scarier than yelling. Because Jake Roberts' voice never gets above 60 decibels. He never has to yell. He just has to be Jake fucking Roberts. Mm-hmm. That was legit fucking terrifying when I was a child. But you got me beat, so go for it. <laughs> well, I... So, I would... My... my take for this the spookiest storyline is the broken matt hardy and the broken universe uh storyline and my reason for picking this one it absolutely ties into the theatrics but it also touches a little bit on the part that i said i i wasn't going to talk about which is when wrestling is legitimately scary in real life when it crosses a line uh, because the the broken Matt Hardy story really explores like the identity crisis that performers can go through as they inhabit different characters and as the public perceives them differently. And you know, of course, he he did it in a really, really, really over the top way. But he was really touching on. Um, a much, much deeper issue of, you know, identity, uh, you know, concepts of like possession and, re- you know, relationships, um, you know, with with other wrestlers and also uh, with your family in, in this storyline. And so there's an element of it that is like spooky fun where are you is he gonna wrestle someone and they're gonna fall in the lake of reincarnation and and come out with uh with a new gimmick or uh you know uh be possessed by the the voice of uh macho man (laughs) like on being the elite um so there's like a spooky fun theatrical side but there's also a legitimately darker undercurrent of what a what a a job like wrestling can can do to someone and he really taps into that uh, at a different level in that storyline so that's why i'm saying this is like you know one of the one of the spookiest one of the scariest like legitimately with uh you know tinges of actual horror in it um so yeah and at the same time, very silly. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's the, that's where the theatrical side comes in. It's yeah, it's really fun. It's really fun to watch, even though there's this darker reading that you can do of the whole thing. Which is why I think you win this one. Not that this is a competition, because <laughs> it isn't. Because yeah. spooky, spooky, and scary are a little different. Spooky yes. does have a little bit of of silliness built into the word in my my take of it um and i think that everything that that matt hardy did from about 2016 even through the quote-unquote woken universe that he Mm -hmm. was doing in wwe was still very good i mean the the match and the halloween special 
that he did for the WWE Network are still really good. Yeah. And very much a part of that universe. Um, I really did like uh, uh, the Godfather falling into the lake and turning back into Papa Shango. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. You forget he's played so many characters. Uh, but yeah, and I, I just think that this is one of the things that some people didn't like because you don't have to like everything in wrestling. Some styles don't work for some people, and sometimes silliness goes too far for some people. But for as divisive as the Broken ha- broken Matt Hardy universe was, I loved it. Yeah. Um, no one said it wasn't creative. A lot of people didn't like it. A lot of people thought it was stupid, but no one said it was said it was wasn't creative. He was doing original things and original takes in it, and it was legitimately spooky because everyone really bought into it. The giraffe really was the, the reincarnation of George Washington. <laughs> All right, we're gonna save yours uh, for uh, last on this one again because again, I think you're right, even though recency bias, sure, whatever. <laughs> Scary match. I have two. One is definitely making fun of WWE. Goldberg versus Undertaker in Saudi Arabia for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> that was a scary match. Because Goldberg almost fucking killed the Undertaker in real life. Because he's a botch machine. Mm. Yeah. Um, Bill Goldberg, if you ever hear this, you haven't apologized enough for this match. Because seriously, that was bad. Please don't do that again. But an actual scary match. And a classic scary match. And one of the few times I'll ever say anything good about a Hulk Hogan match. Because fuck Hogan. Um, He can't wrestle. But the way the match was built and the way the match was seen, The Undertaker defeating Hulk Hogan at Survivor Series 1991 and the, the terror that fell over the crowd as The Undertaker was kneeling, holding the title up, sticking his tongue out, cementing The Undertaker as the scariest thing in professional wrestling. And to some degree, the best gimmick of all time and he'd only been in the company what a year a year at that point and that was just absolutely fantastic it also set up one of the best royal rumbles ever because of rick flair's interference the title was declared vacated and in in 1992 Ric Flair enters the Royal Rumble at number three, goes the distance, and wins the WWF title. In again, one of the legit best Rumbles ever. Um, but I thought that was a good candidate for a scary match. And it's the last time we'll mention Hogan in any kind of positive connotation ever on this show. And only because it was The Undertaker. Yeah, no, no, uh, no love for racists. So no, no. This is this is all about the Undertaker just terrifying the WWF fan base at the time because yeah. Hogan was so over and was yeah. the man, and the idea this undead 
uh, dead man had come in and taken the title off of him was legit terrifying for people. Okay. All right. So scary match for me. And I would, I would put this in a list of scariest matches. So I would, it's a highlight, but I also would put it in there. And that was the match last, the trick or treat match last night. Uh, Abaddon versus Britt Baker for a title shot for Abaddon against uh, Britt's title. And from start to finish, just brilliantly scary in every sense of the word. It drew on, you know, everything exciting and terrifying about Halloween and horror movies and really brought out like how scary both wrestlers are in their own right in really interesting and fun ways. And, you know, from from Brit's entrance where, you know, Jamie, Hater, and uh, Rebel were dressed as zombies, which is funny because they just blindly follow her, right? Like, they kind of are, like, in a way, her her zombies that, that are just you know, under her spell if she, if, you know, she was a necromancer, right? So I thought that was kind of uh, a fun choice, even though they were doing that, I think, to kind of mock Abaddon and also just have fun. It, to me, was really interesting. And so they, this is a no uh, DQ match. So they had, of course, hijinks in their, in their zombie gear. But to me, one of the things that made this so scary was how, you know, Britt attempted to do um, her, oh, the name of it escapes me. Um, the lockjaw? Her lockjaw, yeah, the lockjaw move. So Britt has her glove on, she's going, and, bef- and um, before she's going to do it, there's a whole thing with, um, with tax. And, you know, she's, like, feeding tax into Abaddon's mouth. And Abaddon is, like, you know, spewing these tax and blood out of her mouth. And then Britt goes to do this move, which is one of the... I, I always tell Dustin, my husband, like, I don't think this move should even be allowed. Like, she should not be allowed to do this for her finisher. Um so, you know, she's going to do this move that's, like, her signature trademark that's a ter- really scary move to me. Like, I would hate to have this done to me. And she can't do it. She looks at this gaping mouth of Abaddon and the blood and, like, where all the tacks just were. And I, she might still have some tacks in her mouth. I don't know. She can't put her hand in there. She's terrified. She's absolutely terrified of Abaddon biting her or like what is going to happen. And it was brilliant. It was such, it was, it was, it was so well done. Um, so a, a scary, a scary match all around uh, from, from the entrance to the finish and how the the win that Abaddon should have gotten was really stolen from her. And so just excellent, excellent, scary, scary match and a great um, main event yeah. for AW Rampage. And, and this is another match where 
in 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 the eyes of a fan, the technical problems with the match get completely overlooked because we buy into it. This match is not super well reviewed. It's not hated from last night, but as I'm going through the various comments, there were some botches in the match. A table didn't break. Um, a couple of things just didn't quite work, but none of that matters when you talk about atmosphere. Yeah. And the 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 atmospheric elements that you're describing overcome all of that. The contrast of this is when the atmosphere doesn't meet the expectations of the audience, and you get the Fiend versus, versus Seth Rollins in Hell in a Cell. Which is the worst match. It's it's not as bad as Jeff Hardy's Sting in Impact, where the ref threw up the X and Sting had to improvise a 30-second finish to just get the title off of Jeff Hardy and get him the hell out of there because he was stoned out of his mind. Um and about to try and try and do a pro wrestling match altered, and thank you, Sting, for quite likely saving Jeff Hardy's life. <laughs> mm. So it's not it, it wasn't that bad. Um but that was a match, Seth Rollins versus the Fiend, Hell in a Cell, that was supposed to sell us on the atmosphere of the match. And it didn't. And all of its flaws are revealed through its lack of ability to make the atmosphere work. With the dark red lighting and the red cage and the spookiness. Looking at last night's Britt Baker DMD versus Abaddon. The lights are on. Yeah. You don't need to dim the lights to make it scary. You don't need a red light filter to make it spooky. You need believable selling. You Mm -hmm. need believable terror. You need Britt Baker reacting to everything Abaddon does with fear in her eyes. Yeah, and she did. Britt was her her selling her her facial expressions, and she's she's really good at this anyway. But it was she just made it over the top excellent with with how well she was selling everything and the sense of fear that she was giving off. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was amazing. Which, which again, drives the point home. You don't have to have a five-star perfect match to have a good match. Yeah. Because the match is really about psychology more than it is about performance. Execution, great when it's there. But it's not always going to be there. And when when performers have two botched table spots and still keep buying into the match and still buy into their gimmicks and still sell everything on their faces with their bodies. They take a match that could have been a terrible match because of the botches, because of the two missed table spots, and they turn it into a match that is still good because the atmosphere, the psychology trumps the in-ring work. If you, you, you can have one or the other, you can't always have both, but if you don't have good psychology if you don't have good atmosphere for a match sometimes you just can't don't have a good match and i think that's the thing that we we so often discount because there's a whole section of the internet wrestling community who's, who are just like 
who are picking apart like their trainers in NXT. They're picking apart footwork and like little details they don't even understand. And yeah. I think there's sometimes they're forgetting just to be a fan. So I'm I'm kind of annoyed reading these reviews as as we're doing this about oh two botched table spots. Well, yeah, but come on. Yeah, but I mean it's a it's a no DQ match, so mm-hmm. I you know I kind of consider things like that just part of I mean that you just go with it and it's yep. just you know and the wrestlers just go with it because you know anything could happen in in a no dq match and things aren't going to go right because it's raw and it's mm-hmm. real you know it's well it's like, not a match on raw but <laughs> no no as soon as i said that i was like oh why did i choose that word you open I mean, you open it up you no, open up the door no i close i shut it i shut it uh <laughs> oh god you failed your role i shut it <laughs> Yeah, I'm just, oh, this is so, yeah. Okay, so those are our ideas for scary, spooky things in wrestling. Wrestling is silly, people, and it's silly good fun, and we love it. It's also serious, silly good fun, and we love Mm -hmm. it. And there's a lot of really great stuff. Uh, Don't go watch any WCW Halloween Havoc shows. Those were, I think, pretty universally all bad. (laughs) (laughs) unintentionally scary unintentionally scary unintentionally hilarious um but yeah that's that's our ideas for really spooky things we've got a lot more stuff that we want to talk about we got a lot more things that we're looking forward to doing here on this show but i think that's going to bring us to the close of of our show uh for the for now be back next friday we'll have more stuff to talk about we probably need to get start start uh, uh, psyching ourselves up for full gear. Although I don't think we need to psych ourselves up that much. Do you? <laughs> I'm excited for it. I'm very excited for full gear. There's a whole bunch more really good stuff coming. So even though we did talk about some downer stuff today, please remember that wrestling is fun. Also remember that you can find us at uh, Anne Emily Pod over on Twitter. And we're trying to make our Twitter feed spicy and fun. Uh, if you give us a follow, just let us know what you want to see there. There might be some polls coming through. You can also uh, email the show at a and e wrestling pod at gmail.com. Uh, we have not received any emails, but I've never received an email for any of my podcasts. Let me just double check. Uh, that wasn't like someone trying to, like, on the Q for Fun email, I've got several. Uh, versions of someone sending me the uh, Norton scam email trying to get me to <laughs> and I've debated whether or not I want to actually like play into that and, and waste a scammer's time for five hours um, I don't really so anywho uh, you can find uh, my co-host Emily the Raven at 8-Bit Emily that's 8 with the number Emily what are you up to I saw some Final Fantasy pictures uh, from you the other day yeah, well, you know, you're probably going to be seeing a lot more uh, gaming content over the next few weeks. Um, Final Fantasy XIV, the MMO that I play and just love dearly, and then also Animal Crossing, especially because Animal Crossing is about to get a big update, and Brewster will be joining us. 
Um, and I do occasionally do uh, wrestling cosplay on my Animal Crossing Island, uh, although I have not posted anything recently. But a lot of the uh, costume, a lot of the um, clothing that you can get on Animal Crossing uh, can translate into various uh, wrestler outfits. And I, I actually just saw someone post a cosplay of Kip Sabian's um, character that he has been doing lately uh, with a box over his head and they recreated an Animal Crossing. So yeah, you'll see a lot of game content from me. Which is all absolutely fantastic. Um, you can find me over at Ann underscore Elise. That's Ann with an E. I'm not doing a whole lot on Twitter these days. Uh, just occasionally poking a giant homophobe who likes to go on Fox News and say terrible things about the new Superman. And he sends 332 of his followers after me. And I block them all. <laughs> Good riddance. Ugh. Yep. Um, but you can also check out the other shows that we're doing on our fledgling network. There'll be more about that at the end of the year, beginning of next year. I'm planning something big. Um, you can check out Q for Fun, which is the Heroes of the Storm show I do with Royalite, Wicked Kitten, and Sophie Shea. That's over at Q for Fun on Twitter. You can check out our anime podcast, Anime Sweater, at Anime Sweater Pod, also on Twitter. And I want to take a moment here, since we're talking about spooky, scary stuff. Wicked Kitten has finally gotten out the show that she has been working on for at least half a year. And I want to just absolutely encourage all of you to go and seek this show out. It is the Gore Podcast. You can find it at anchor.fm slash gore podcast. Wicked Kitten is doing a horror podcast. She is a huge horror nerd. She has a ton of, of knowledge about horror movies. I can only tell you this is going to be a great show. Uh, it is not a doing. I asked her if she wanted to put it on her network. She said no. That's totally her choice. But we're still going to promo the hell out of it. I'm going to be talking about this at the end of every show I do. So if you don't like it, tough shit. Because Wicked Kitten is the hardest working person in podcasts, and she definitely deserves your ears because her content is always good. Um, and I just strongly, strongly recommend uh, going going to uh, Anchor.fm, listening to uh, Anchor.fm slash Gore Podcast, and listening to her show. She is going to have so much good horror content coming your way. And we'll talk more about that when I speak with Wicked Kitten on next week's episode of Q for Fun. Uh, because I do really want to push this as much as we can. We want to give it not a three-week push, but a permanent push, because this is someone who should be in a position where she can make a living off of content creation. And, you know, while I'm talking about it, anytime you see Wicked Kitten 13 that's her Twitch handle as well as her Twitter handle, please give her a follow and a subscribe on Twitch, because she's a really good streamer, too. That's it. That's that's it. Do it. Do it now. Twitch.tv slash WickedKitten13. Go there and subscribe right now. What are you doing? What are you still listening to this show for? Go and subscribe to my co-host. <laughs> Pay her money to be a good streamer because she's a very good streamer. She's very good at video games. And she knows a lot about horror movies. You've been warned. All right. <laughs> We'll come up with some fun new stuff to talk about next week on Ann and Emily Wrestler Podcast. Uh, we are starting to 
look for uh, guests who want to come on and talk about uh, some of their favorite things in wrestling. Um, we are going to prioritize looking for female guests because, again, there's plenty of guys offering their opinions on wrestling. Sorry, man, it's not that we don't want to have you, but we are we are kind of interested in promoting a more diverse view, and I will be attending church tomorrow, as I do every morning at Church of Joshi. Joshi Bless. <laughs> Joshi Bless, which is run by Kayla and Alex, Queen of the Ring. Um, Emily, do you have anything to uh, end this show on? Just eat a lot of candy and enjoy Halloween. That's what I. That's what I want to end on. That's that's good sage adult advice. <laughs> All right. Then, without further ado, good night. And good luck. Bang.